Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Weekly Tech, a technology and ethics podcast focused on navigating this digital age with wisdom. Weekly Tech is brought to you by the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, and I'm your host, Jason Thacker. As always, alongside this podcast, we also have the Weekly Tech newsletter that you can sign up to receive on Monday mornings that's designed to prepare you to think deeply about the pressing technology issues of our day and also stay up to date on the latest tech news. You can subscribe now at jasonthacker.com slash weeklytech. Also, if you enjoyed today's podcast, make sure to let us know by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting app. You can screenshot your review and send it to us at weeklytech at erlc.com along with your mailing address, and we'll make sure to send you a special Weekly Tech coffee mug as a thank you. In this episode, I'm joined by my friend Emily Wenger, who's a PhD computer science student and researcher at the University of Chicago, and we talk about facial recognition and her work in privacy and security. Emily Wenger is pursuing a PhD in computer science at the University of Chicago with an emphasis on machine learning and privacy. Her research explores the limitations, vulnerabilities, and privacy implications of neural networks. Emily worked for two years as a mathematician at the United States Department of Defense before beginning her Ph.D. studies in 2018. She's a graduate of Wheaton College in Illinois with a degree in mathematics and physics. And now let's join our conversation. Well, Emily, thank you so much for joining us here on Weekly Tech. As we get started, can you tell us a little bit about how you became interested in computer science and specifically facial recognition? Yeah, well, it's great to be here. I have always loved math, and so that kind of has motivated me throughout my life to continue studying various analytical techie subjects. But I was drawn to computer science because it, to me, felt like a very tangible way to use math to make the world better and help people. Math theory is great, but computer science is very hands-on. And facial recognition in particular has started to come up in my research because it's something that's so societally relevant and so fraught with questions and issues. So it's not only an interesting technical problem that I've enjoyed studying, but it's also something that has caused me to think pretty deeply about what it means to exist in our society and what is due people in terms of the technology we create and how we use it. Yeah. And one of the things I wanted to talk to you about, too, is kind of how your faith interacts with your work. I know often we talk about in other fields kind of how our faith informs what we do, but specifically in computer science and in your research, how is your faith kind of informing or even guiding a lot of the uh, issues that you're facing and the challenges that are ahead? (laughs) It's causing me to be very skeptical of the decisions we make and the technologies we are trying to create. I think there's not a great playbook for what it means to be a Christian in this field, and I'm grateful for the work you're doing that's helping create one. So I feel like right now, lacking that concrete sort of step-by-step guidance, my faith just causes me to be a lot more prayerful and thoughtful about the technologies I choose to research and causes me to pursue a lot of outside books and resources to make sure that what I'm doing is loving and good and something that's advancing the kingdom rather than something that's potentially doing harm to humanity. Yeah, and I think that's really important for all of us to remember in our work that our faith informs us and it guides us, but it is kind of that stronghold. It's that foundation uh, through which that grid through which we make any decisions and kind of uh, the way that we go about these things. I know here on Weekly Tech, we've talked a lot about the impact of facial recognition on a number of areas in our society, but in recent years and specifically even recent 
months, uh, there's been a significant controversy around facial recognition technology, specifically the Clearview AI platform uh, that's now been used by over 2,000 law enforcement agencies across the United States. This has led to a lot of concerns about the way these technologies are developed, the way that they're deployed and used, and the way that they're followed up on and uh, maintained. And so can you tell us a little bit about facial recognition, how the technology works, and maybe some of the potential concerns uh, surrounding the tech? Yeah, absolutely. So facial recognition technology typically uses a big machine learning model that's called a neural network to do the heavy lifting. And how it works is there's a picture of you or someone presented to that big neural network. And the neural network takes that image and it sort of creates a mathematical representation of your face. And everyone's mathematical representation looks different to the model. So it's able to kind of classify people as themselves because it can look at the mathematical characteristics of their face and recognize that as them. There are lots of like nuances to that, but that's kind of the general idea. Turns your face into math. I know a lot of us, uh, when we think of facial recognition, we think of kind of like futuristic sci-fi Terminator type of future. But all of (laughs) us are using facial recognition almost every single day. If you have an Apple iPhone with Face ID, even if Mm -hmm. you're using like the clear me technology when uh, you travel, you know, when we could travel in airports uh, pretty significantly. It's a facial recognition system that allows you to get through security even. And so facial recognition is pretty popular, but I think there's just a lot of misunderstanding around it and some concerns about how it's being used. Can you elaborate a little bit on those concerns and some of the fears surrounding the technology? Yeah. So I would say two different things. One is that the context of the use of the technology really matters. So for something like Face ID or the Clear system, that's really face authentication, which is just identifying you as you in a security context. And that's, it's controversial in its own right, but perhaps less so than the more, I would say, attention-grabbing uses of facial recognition, which would be something like used by police or used by you know China to surveil its citizens, that kind of thing. And the biggest concerns are, one, that the systems are biased, and two, that they're used in a unauthorized manner. And the bias concerns are, I would say, particularly concerning. Um, they stem from the fact that these systems are trained on data sets that often don't really contain minorities um, or people of color or someone who's not like broadly represented in the society. So that's bad <laughs> because if you don't have a data set that contains people of every kind of context and color and, and race, then the system's not going to recognize those people as well. And there have been studies showing that like really big systems, I, I might be Amazon system, was at one point in time almost five to ten times worse at identifying correctly women of color than it was at white men. So that's a bias that's that's concerning. And then the you know lack of sort of uh, permission or wrongful use as in China's surveillance of the Uyghurs is another really common concern. And they're both evidence that these systems need a lot more scrutiny uh, in consideration before they're widely deployed. But unfortunately, they're already widely deployed. 
Yeah, you're exactly right. And I mean, specifically, one of the things that we've highlighted a good bit here on Weekly Tech is the it's the Chinese use of this technology. I mean, using this to suppress uh, religious freedom and freedom of speech, uh, not just for the weaker Muslims, but even for the wider population in China, uh, using these technologies to control and to manipulate not only the information that is taken in, but also people's lives, um, being able to track and surveil them wherever they go, um, being able to use this and malicious ways to, in many ways, kind of bolster their own power and prestige uh, in that country. I know you recently published a paper at the University of Chicago um, on facial recognition and how to protect privacy. Can you tell us a little bit about that paper uh, that you and your colleagues put together and the purpose of creating a technology like this? Absolutely. The technology we created is called Fox which is a reference to the Guy Fox movement, which is often a symbol of you know, anonymity or privacy. What it does is it takes pictures of you that you intend to post on, say, Instagram or Facebook, and it tweaks them in a way that makes you unrecognizable as yourself. So the goal would be then you post these modified pictures to Facebook. They still look like you. There's not any visible changes to the image, but like the underlying mathematical properties of the image have been altered. So that if someone were to come along and scrape all those images off Facebook to train a facial recognition model on them, that model wouldn't learn the correct mathematical representation of you. It would learn some weird skewed version of it. So that would mean that if someone has this model that's trained on these stolen images that have been tweaked by our by our system, that model wouldn't then be able to recognize you in real life. So the goal of the tool is to provide some sense of privacy ownership and empowerment to individuals, because a lot of the focus on the privacy debate is more centered on like regulation and, and tech companies changing their policies. But we thought it was really important for individuals to have some recourse of their own to defend their privacy if they wanted. So this is kind of like almost poisoning the data and it's kind of altering the data so that it corrupts uh, the way that these systems learn. Um, but as you said, the image doesn't really look that different to the human eye, but to the machine eye, uh, to personify the machine there for a second, it does. Um, it, it completely alters. Is that what you're saying? Yep, exactly. You poison the, you shift your images in a way that poisons a data set that corrupts the model because models look at things that humans can't see because they're not sentient. <laughs> they look at everything and humans only can look at like the relevant features. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I know when you when you talk about facial recognition technology and the system that you guys have developed, you really hone in on a two-pronged approach uh, to protecting privacy, where it's not just the individual tools, but there also needs to be some type of privacy law. And that's highly debated um, across parties and different platforms about what that privacy law should look like, what should actually be in there. But what are some principles uh, coming from the computer science background and your research background that you would want to see or some things that we need to keep in mind as we're developing uh, these type of privacy laws and regulations? Oh, I think there are a couple things that come to mind. So first, I think it's important to acknowledge that the concept of privacy is still really confusing. And I think we have these general notions of what it means to regulate and protect privacy. But in computer science, the distinction between 
reasonably collected data and reasonably used data and private data is really hard to see sometimes because you're so caught up in like a small corner of the ecosystem that you don't recognize the broader implications of your work. And I think that is both a sort of a corrective for computer scientists that they need to be more broad-minded and thinking about what the effect of their work might be, but also perhaps something that could inform public policy, that there's perhaps, sometimes there is malice, but sometimes there's just ignorance that goes into these privacy violations. Um, and I don't know what that would mean to inform policy, but it certainly should be taken into account. And I think also in general, individuals need to continue to have agency in this debate. Like I've said before, regulation is one thing and technological protections are another thing, and they're both important, but um, kind of like how the auto industry has evolved to include automotive safety measures and government regulation and consumer sort of pragmatism. I think the technology industry is perhaps headed in that direction as well, that as a consumer, you need to be savvier, and maybe that means uh, a lot of education and more information about what's going on. But but there's a lot of parties involved and everyone needs to do their part. Yeah, I think that's really helpful and a really good approach to it. Broadening out from uh, specifically like facial recognition uses, um, what are some of the promises and maybe even pitfalls of artificial intelligence that we might not be thinking about when we think about this technology that's really becoming ubiquitous in our society? I mean, it's used in almost every single type of application or smart device that we're using is some form of artificial intelligence. What are some of the promises or pitfalls of the technology? And how does your faith help you to think through some of those things? My field is security. So I think a lot more about the pitfalls of the technology than the promises. But I do think in general, um, artificial intelligence has the potential to do some quote unquote dirty work that humans maybe shouldn't or don't want to do, for example, like content moderation on platforms such as Facebook, it's a lot better, I would say, to have a neural network classifying what is and isn't an appropriate image than to have a poor human have to sit there and do it. So that's one very specific promise. And I think in general, artificial intelligence can automate our lives in ways that are helpful. Uh, but there are a lot of pitfalls, and that is what I study, and that's what I think a lot about. Um, these systems are really easily tricked as our work, Fox, kind of takes advantage of. They're hyper-focused on these mathematical properties, which means they don't use common sense in decision-making. And that's something people are thinking a lot about. You know, how do we introduce a more holistic view of data so that machines aren't fooled by corner cases? Um, but in general, there's a lot of ways to trick a neural network, whether it's a facial recognition system or a self-driving car system, or even like an ad blocker, a neural network that's used to kind of detect ad content, they're very foolable. And until we really vet the security implications and, and downsides, there's going to be a lot of issues <laughs> as these things are rolled out into deployment. Um, but in general, my faith informs how I think about my research, how I treat my colleagues, and how I tend to view the trajectory of my career. I know that this is a field that's very buzzy and very sort of, it's tempting in this world to just go work for Facebook and make a lot of money optimizing ads. But I think my faith calls me to do something different than that um, and to think about the impact that this technology is having on our society and what it means to help advance the kingdom of God in this specific area. And there's a lot of unanswered questions that I have, but that's the goal. 
Well, alongside a lot of those unanswered questions and even the call that you said earlier of having computer scientists and researchers to be thinking about the broader implications, how important is community, not only with other scientists and researchers, but even particularly Christians in this field? How important is community to your work? Oh, it's critical. If I didn't have community, a community of diverse people who think differently from me, I would be a very inadequate researcher. For example, we attend a kind of multi-ethnic church on the south side of Chicago. And so I spent a lot of time in the church interacting with especially kids of color who come from like a pretty poor background. And those interactions with those kids and seeing how police technology impacts and changes their lives and the lives of their families helps me think pretty critically about what I'm doing and whether or not the technologies I'm developing help or, or hurt them. But without their influence and their presence in my life, I think my research would be a lot more single dimensional and that certainly benefits no one. Yeah. And it's it's a good reminder that anytime we're looking at technologies and their impact, it's not just sets of data. These are people. Uh, These are people's, in your cases particularly, you have people's faces and their identities and their privacy at stake. But even in the broader context of technology, it's important for us to remember that these are flesh and blood human beings. And as Christians, we believe image bearers of God. Um, And so that should inform the ways that we utilize these and develop these technologies in order to honor and to cherish uh, the invaluable image of God that's in every single person. As we close out our time today, I'd really love to hear just some things that you're reading right now or some things that are challenging you right now in your faith or even in your work or maybe something that you're just really enjoying. (laughs) I am... I am always in the middle of like six books, but two that I'm reading right now are Onward by Russell Moore. That was a total coincidence, but it's a great book for me in thinking about what does it mean to engage as a Christian in today's divided and divisive culture. So that's been good and challenging to think about, and I've really enjoyed the principles of that book. And I'm also just getting into a really fascinating book called Automating Inequality, And it's essentially about like what it means that algorithms are biased and harmful to certain groups of the population and how do we think about and deal with these issues. So certainly not light reading, but I think Mm -hmm. important and informative for me as I continue to venture deeper into this world. Well, Emily, I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time to join us here on Weekly Tech and also grateful for your work. I know um, machine learning and privacy, uh, these aren't topics that a lot of people are super interested in, but they're incredibly important to the future of um, our society and the ways that we interact with one another and ultimately cherish the image of God in every single person. I really look forward to uh, continue working with you and continuing to see how the Lord uses you in this really important endeavor. Thank you so much. It's been great talking to you. Well, from all of us here at Weekly Tech, I want to say thank you for listening. If you enjoy Weekly Tech, would you consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting app? These reviews really help us to know how we're doing and also to share the word about Weekly Tech with others. And as a reminder, you can connect with Emily and learn all about her work in the show notes. You can also sign up to receive the Weekly Tech email briefing each Monday morning, which is designed to help you think deeply about the pressing technology issues of our day, along with the top tech news. You can subscribe at jasonthacker.com slash weeklytech.